Welcome to Passion. For more information about Passion, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. We began to talk about roots about two weeks ago, and uh, you know, you never really understand how tough a root is until you try to cut through one. Have any, have any of you ever tried to cut through a root and you, you get a, I did this one time, I was stupid, I, I wasn't the smartest, I, you know, whatever, I'm not the most mechanical guy in the world, and so I didn't really have a, uh, an axe, all I had was one of those old-fashioned tomahawks. Um, and it was a root about this big, and about halfway through I realized this isn't going to do it because what I've dis- discovered is that a root tenaciously holds on to the tree or the tree tenaciously holds on to the root. I'm not sure which way that goes. I just know what happens, and it becomes very difficult to cut through that, and that is important for us to understand because we are rooted. We are connected to certain things that provide for us life and that sustain us in our relationship with God and sustain us in our relationship with each other. And so we begin to talk about those because without roots, there's no, there's no ability to have life. If you're not rooted to something, you cannot have life. That's why, uh, this is just a side note, not in my notes. You, you can, this is extra, um, you know, just a little extra snippet. But that's why church planters never, or church, not church planters, I hope not church planters, church hoppers never really grow because they're never rooted. About the time life starts they get ripped up and they move somewhere else for whatever reason because the carpet was the wrong color or because whatever other reason they come up with, um, you know, I don't know. Uh, And and all of a sudden, all the roots that were beginning to take place are destroyed and no life happens. So roots are essential for us to be stable. In fact, without roots, you know what we would do as a body? We would chase every fad and every trend in the kingdom of God. You do know that there are fads and trends in the kingdom of God that aren't always for the long haul. And if we attach our wagon to all of those, you would know which way we were going. But we are established and we are rooted. So let me remind you what our roots are. Our root system is made up of eight things. It's made up of praise. It's made up of purpose. It's made, we're rooted to people. We're rooted to our place. We're rooted to prayer. We're rooted to Pentecost. We're rooted to presence. And we're rooted to preaching. And I told you two weeks ago that the reason that we're rooted to praise is because wrapped up in your praise is victory. And wrapped up in your praise is peace. If you, don't, if you haven't had peace this way this week, then what I would say to you is you probably haven't been praising. And then I also mentioned to you that inside of your praise there is plunder. When we praise God, God destroys our enemies and he lays up ambushes on our enemies and he provides loot for us and, and treasures for us. It's all wrapped up in your praise. And then I also mentioned that we have to stay rooted to purpose because we understand that without purpose, if you don't have a purpose individually and we don't have a purpose corporately, we will never accomplish what God wants us to accomplish because we'll be running around like a chicken with our head cut off not knowing which way's up and which way's down. So we have to stay rooted to purpose. I told you that we must stay planted and rooted to people. 
God, Jesus was moved by people. And I challenged you last week. We must come to this place where we still are moved by compassion, where the plight and the situation of people move us, that they break our hearts when we see people hurting. I told you that we have to stay um, in this place where we take time for people. We don't avoid people. We change our schedules for people. We go out of our we- week's way to impact people. And then I said we got to touch people. How many of you reached out and touched? somebody this week, right? Because we understand that healing comes through touch and people need to be touched. So we touch people and that we heal people and that we die for people. That is what God is calling us to do towards people. And then I told you also last week that we are rooted to this place. God has hand planted us, hand selected, carved out, it was the word we used last week, a niche for us in this place, not this building, this community. And so we've got to stay planted and understand that God wants to use us here. Well, I want us to go on and talk about the next two uh, roots in our, in our lives and in our church. The next two are these, prayer and Pentecost. We are rooted to those two elements because we believe they produce life for us. And so what I want us to do is I want us to take a few minutes this morning and I want us to talk about prayer and then I want us to talk about Pentecost. Now, As we start talking about prayer, let me just make this statement up front. You already know that prayer is a vital spiritual discipline. That is not news for you. You understand that we, to to be in the kind of relationship with God that He desires to have with us, we must pray. We cannot rely on my prayers for you. I can't pray. I can pray for you, but I can't pray for you. Does that make sense? My prayer life will not do anything for you. Your grandmama's prayer life won't fix you. Your aunt's prayer life won't fix you. Your daddy's prayer life won't fix you. It might cover you, but you've got to establish your own prayer life. You know that. That's children's church lessons. And so I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. I also understand that most, if not all of you, have heard a boatload of messages on prayer. How to pray, when to pray, the styles of prayer. You, you've, you've either heard messages or read countless books on the, the methods and the systems of prayer and, and all that stuff. And so this morning, I don't really want to look at how to pray. If you don't know how to pray, then you come see me and I'll turn you towards some resources that you can go and get and they will map out for you all the different ways that you can pray. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time this, there this morning. What I want to do is I want to look at prayer just a little bit differently. See, I've come to discover, and I know that you already understand this. I've come to discover that when everything is going all right in my life, it's easy to pray. When my checkbook is full, when my car starts, uh, when my neighbors don't act like idiots, uh, when, when my family's doing what they're supposed to be doing, and I just got a promotion at work, and everything I touch turns to gold, it's easy to pray. Now, granted, let me just say this. Usually at that moment in my life, my prayer life is not the deepest, and the prayers aren't as prolonged, right? Because everything is going good. And so I understand, and I've discovered, that it's easy to pray when everything's good. But what I've also discovered this, is, and I want us to get this this morning, I think we learn more about about prayer when we examine how someone prays on the hard days. When everything's not going right. 
When everything you touch doesn't turn to gold, it turns to dust. When everybody's acting the fool around you and you wish you could kill them all. When we examine your prayer life on those days, we really learn a lot more about prayer. See, I, I just want you to understand this morning. I don't want us to be a church or a group of people who only know how to pray when everything's good. See, what I'm looking for is a group of people that know how to battle in prayer. Who know how to face difficult circumstances and tough situations and know how to pray. I'm glad you can pray for me when everything's going good and you can pat me on the back and say, I'm so thankful everything's great in your life and I'm so happy and I'm rejoicing with you because we're supposed to according to God's word. But I would much rather have people around me when I'm dealing with depression and I'm discouraged and my life is shattered and my heart is broken and you can come lay hands on me and you really know how to pray. I want those kind of people around me. See, we've read in Scripture that Jesus prayed a lot. All the time, in fact. And that in itself teaches us and speaks to us about the importance of prayer and the position that prayer has in our life. And we often turn to Jesus when we want to learn about prayer and we rightfully turn to the Lord's Prayer as a model of prayer. Give us this day. Oh, you, know, you, you know, you're supposed to start with praise. You know, you know, right? You start with praise, then you make you you repent, then you make your petitions, and then you end with praise. Y'all know that system of prayer, and we rightfully turn to that as a model of prayer. But what I believe is that I think it's even more insightful in Jesus's life to turn and discover how he prayed on the tough days. For instance, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter twenty-six. I'm going to read to you. An insight into how Jesus responded when the days were dark. I'm going to read it to you out of two versions I want you, because I want you to hear what's happening. Verse 36 says this, Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and he saith unto his disciples, Sit ye here while I go yonder and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and sore troubled. Then he saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Abide ye here and watch with me. And he went forward a little and fell on his face and he prayed and say, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass away from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples and he findeth them sleeping. And he saith unto Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time he went away and prayed, saying, My father, if this cannot pass away except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came again, and he found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them again, and he went away and prayed a third time, saying again the same words. I want to read this to you out of the Message Bible because I think it brings it home. It says, Then Jesus went with them to the garden called Gethsemane, and he told his disciples, Stay here while I go over there and pray. Taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he plunged into an agonizing sorrow. Then he said, this sorrow is crushing my life out. Oh, maybe you've never had a bad day. But hear Jesus' voice when he says, it's crushing my life out. Stay here and keep vigil with me. And going a little ahead, he fell on his face praying, my father, if there's any way, get me out of this. But please, not what I want. You, what do you want? When he came back his disciples, he found them back to his disciples, he found them asleep, sound asleep. And he said to Peter, Can't you stick it out with me a single hour? 
Stay alert. Be in prayer so you don't wander into temptation without even knowing you're in danger. There is a part of you that is eager, ready for anything in God, but there's another part that's as lazy as an old dog sleeping by the fire. He left them a second time, and again he prayed, My father, if there is no other way than this, drinking this cup to the dregs, I'm ready. Do it your way. And when he came back, he found them sound asleep again, and they simply couldn't keep their eyes open. And this time he let them sleep on, and he went back a third time to pray, going over the same ground one last time. Let me tell you some things about prayer. The first thing I want to tell you out of what we've seen in Jesus' life is this. Prayer is where we go when there are hard days ahead. That's where we should turn. It shouldn't be the last place we turn. That was a good point right there. Convicted me. I shouldn't turn to everybody else first. The first place that I go when I'm facing hard days should be prayer. Think about Jesus, what's going on. This is the last 24 hours of his life. Think about what he's getting ready to face. He's just about to get ready to go through the worst day of his entire life. This day is going to be marked by spit. It's going to be marked by flesh-tearing beatings. He's going to be betrayed. He's going to have scalp uh, ripping thorns go into his head. He's going to have nails in his hands and his feet. He's going to be mocked. He's going to see his mother weeping at the bottom of his cross, and he's going to die. That is a bad day. I know some of you thought you had a bad day this week, but let me just tell you, in comparison, not so bad. And yet what we discover is when Jesus is facing the worst 24 hours of his day, what does he do? He prays. He turns to communicate with the Father. And so my question is is this. If you were facing what Jesus was facing, if you had knowledge that going into tomorrow you were going to face the worst day of your life, if you knew you were going to face torture, if you knew you were going to face betrayal and you were going to be beaten and you were going to be hurt and somebody was going to despise you and somebody was going to spit on you, maybe not physically but verbally, who would or what would you turn to? And see, what I've discovered is that the answer is clear. All we have to do is look around us and understand that most of us, when we're facing a bad day, don't turn to prayer. What we turn to is drink, or we turn to medicine, or we turn to gossip, or we turn to our friends, or we turn to a family member. We never stop and turn to the one place that we can get an answer and where we can get help. Prayer. We must turn to pray. See, it's where we go On the tough days. When your life is falling apart, that's where you should turn. When when you come to this place, see, we've got to elevate prayer again in our lives to understand that prayer is not just for the good days. Bless me, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Make your your face to shine down upon me kind of days. No, prayer is where we go when I think I'm going nuts days. When my back is up against the wall and I got nowhere else to turn and I'm at wit's end and my life is falling apart and I can't stand myself or anybody else days. That's what prayer is for. That is where we must turn. So, the, so we've got to go to, to prayer on the hard days. The second thing I want to say to you is this, and I wish I could tell you different, but prayer is hard work. Also, let me tie into that, that distractions are constant. Oh, uh, you know, when was the last time prayer was easy for you? See, um, I, I have to admit to you that prayer is still hard. 
I, I can still remember uh, as a teenager at the church that I attended in Apache, Oklahoma, uh, I, I remember us going through this material called Could You Not Tarry One Hour? It was by Larry Lee. And almost as a chant going over in my head over and over, even now, all these years later, 20 years, 30 years later, I can still hear the lesson that I was taught. They taught us in that material this, that when you first begin pray on a regular basis, when you first try to learn how to pray on a regular basis and set time aside, that prayer will be a duty. But at some moment during your prayer life, it will turn to delight. I can still remember that. Can I just stand before you this morning and tell you that all these years later, I'm still waiting for it to turn to delight. Because see, what's easy is to worship. It was a duty when I was younger until I discovered that when I'm in his presence, great things happen. And now you don't have to hit much of a note and I'm ready to worship. But prayer has never quite shifted there because prayer is hard work. Jesus proves that to us. Jesus' experience shows us that prayer can bring blood to your brow. It's hard work. Why? Why is prayer so difficult? Well, first of all, because the flesh will fight against you. Man, you just had 19 cups of coffee and you are on a caffeine high. And since, since it left a bath, bad taste in your my, mouth, you decided, well, you go and get your Red Bull and drink about 12 of those on top of that. So you are caffeined out. I mean, you're just sitting there shaking you got so much caffeine in you. Can I promise you what will happen? The moment you try to steal away and pray, you'll be sleepy. <laughs> Give me an IV drip of Mountain Dew. And the moment I start praying, I will be sleepy. I don't understand it except for this. The flesh is, is weak. My spirit is will, willing, but my flesh is weak. And prayer is hard work because your flesh wars against your spirit and tries to keep you from praying. But not only that, the reason prayer is hard is because not only is your flesh against you, your enemy is against you. And the devil will make sure that the phone rings and that the kids come in wanting to watch Barney while you're praying and, and that, that your tire will go flat when, and your husband will come and say, the, flat, the tire's flat. Something will go wrong. There will be a distraction that takes place because the enemy understands that if he can ever cut off the communication lines, you will be destroyed. What's the first thing you do when you go into a battle? You bomb the communication centers. Y'all remember what happened when we were getting ready to go into Baghdad? They blew up every TV station, every phone center, every radar center. Why? Because they were trying to disable the communication systems. And that's exactly what happens in our life. When we go to pray, the enemy will fight us because he understands if he can ever disable our communication center, we're doomed. So prayer is hard work. Can I suggest a different model of prayer to you this morning? just out of my own life that I've discovered. Because there are days it's hard to pray. And, and so this is what I, I want you to continue to map out the 15 to 20 minutes a day that, or the five, day, the five minutes, whatever your, your habit is and your, your standard practice is. Get up early, pray, pray before you go to bed and all that. But I think we underestimate Paul's instructions to us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, which says, Pray without ceasing. See, what I've discovered in my own life is this, is if I will just pray all day long 
whether I go into a building and dim the lights and get some praise and worship music on and get on my face before God or not, as I'm driving down the road, as I'm eating my whopper, as, as, as I'm, I don't do this anymore, but as I was changing the baby diaper or as I'm, I don't do this either, wash the dishes or as I'm mowing the yard or, or as I'm fixing my car or if I'm going through the bank window, if I would continually stay in prayer, prayer is easier. We underestimate the power that is wrapped up in us praying without ceasing. And you know what I've discovered? The pull-away times where I go and spend 15 to 20 minutes, or as we do as a church on the first Monday of every month, where we go and we spend an hour together in prayer corporately, I've discovered that those times are easier if I've already been praying all day long. We must learn to pray without ceasing. Why? Because... If I pray without ceasing, what happens is I've already prayed through all the distractions. Prayer's hard work, but it's much easier if you'll accept this model of prayer where you pray all day long. The third thing I want to say to you is this, is prayer is how we deal with temptation. I read to you out of Matthew chapter 26, verse 41. Jesus comes and he finds his disciples asleep and he says, Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus shares a nugget of wisdom and truth to us in this passage. And that is this. And you already know this. Our flesh is weak. Your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. In other words, what he's saying is you will be tempted. There will come a moment every day of your life where you are going to be tempted. But what he's teaching us is this, is that we need to pray prior. Now, this is a different model here. We pray prior to temptation. I read to you out of the Message Bible. I I, I like what he says. He says, stay alert and be in prayer so you don't wander into temptation find yourself in danger and you didn't even know it. In other words, Jesus is saying if you would pray before you get to temptation, you won't be as likely to fall when you get there. That's a different mindset. Because what most of us do is we don't pray like that. What we do is we pray once we're tempted. Oh God, help me. Get me out of this. Don't, I, don't, I don't think I can make it through this. And I begin to pray while I'm being tempted. Help me, oh God. I need the power to change the channel. I'm not, I'm not sure I can. I need to close the site, but I don't know that I can. I need to quit talking about what we're talking about right now, I, but I don't know if I can. We're too late. If we would pray prior to temptation and draw some lines in the sand and say, I won't go there, I won't listen to that, I won't watch that, and we pray through that before we ever get there, temptation wouldn't be so tempting. Jesus teaches us that we must pray prior to temptation. That's why when the disciples were tempted to deny Jesus and turn their back on Jesus and run, they didn't make it. They betrayed him. They ran for their lives. Why? Because they slept instead of praying before they got to temptation. Jesus knew what they were going to face. And he said, boys, if you would just pray, you would be able to handle this. But you didn't pray. So now, by the time the rooster crows three times, you're gone. And I wonder how many of us fall into temptation that we could defeat if we would have just prayed before we got there. Instead of waiting until we're there. We need to pray through our temptations. The fourth thing I'd say to you about prayer is this. Prayer is where we find and submit to God's will. That is where we find direction. 
That is where we find strength. When we pray and talk to God, it produces us in us a keen awareness of His direction and His will for our life. We don't find that anywhere else. I cannot tell you God's will for your life. In fact, if you, if you get into a church where they want to tell you God's will for your life, you might ought to be wary because like, Catherine, I think it's your, God's will that you marry so-and-so. Be afraid. Be very, very afraid. I think it's God's will that you ought to sell all your, your belongings and bring the money and give it to me. Be afraid. Be very, very afraid. Right? We don't find our will from somebody else other than one person, and that is God and God alone. And we find that and discover that when we spend time in prayer. In fact, we can go back in Jesus' life and look in Luke chapter 9, and the Bible says that after Jesus spent time in prayer, he set his face like a flint going to Jerusalem. He had already figured out in God's timing and his plan what was getting ready to happen. When I go to Jerusalem, it's not going to be a good day. Everything is going to go wrong. But through prayer, he not only discovered God's will, he finally submitted to God's will. And if Jesus needs to pray to find out God's will, what do we need to do? The next thing that I would say to you and the last thing that I would say to you about prayer is this. Prayer must be repeated often. In Scripture and passages in the Bible, it is demonstrated over and over and over again that prayer must be repeated often on a regular basis. In fact, Jesus himself on several occasions prayed all night long. His parables, he illustrates this concept of knock and keep on knocking. He, he talks about ask and keep on asking. You remember the woman that went to the judge and kept knocking on his door until she woke him up and her persistence brought her blessing. We must pray on a repeated and often method. That's all the time we pray and we keep praying. In fact, Paul comes along and he emphasizes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11. Paul says that we receive God's favor based on the prayers of many. Repeated prayers over and over again. He says this, he says, You also joining and helping us through your prayers that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor, now listen, for the favor bestowed upon us through the prayers of many. So, in other words, what he's saying is this, one of the most basic keys to the health of our church and your health individually is the volume of prayer that is faithfully practiced by individuals in private and with others. The more prayer, the more favor. And one fact, in fact, one church's motto is this. I found this uh, about this church. They say this, much prayer, much blessing. Little prayer, little blessing. No prayer, no blessing. Can I add to that? Let me just piggyback on that and say this to you. A church that doesn't pray isn't a church. It's a pep rally for religious folks. That's really what it is. And so what I am calling you to understand is as a body, corporately, and as individuals, we must come to this place where we are constantly, consistently, persistently knocking and asking and saying, God, we want your favor. God, we need your favor. God, we are dependent upon your favor. And we won't give up until we get it. It's going to take that. We've got to stay rooted to prayer. Jesus returns to prayer three times in this account that I read to you, even when nobody else would go with him. 
And what I am saying to you this morning is, is even if nobody else will pray with you, even though nobody else will get up and pray when you want to pray, you got to pray. Um, I'm hearing MC Hammer rolling over. I know I get all my, you know, my deepest thoughts from you. Got to pray just to make it today. If that was ever true, it is true right now. We must pray. Now, let me shift gears and talk to you about Pentecost. Now, I've been thinking about Pentecost. Some of you are getting real scared right now. Just relax. Pray. All right? We are rooted to Pentecost. Let me, now, I started thinking about Pentecost, and I started thinking about all the things that I could say about Pentecost, and the Lord stopped me in my tracks. I could come up here and give you this, this real uh, deep go into scripture and map it all out and show you where it's a reality and it's valid and all that. But you know what? We've already done that. We did that back in July in a series called Fireworks. I told you why we believe in the, in the move of the Holy Spirit and why we believe in Pentecost. If you want to know where we stand on that and why we believe what we believe, go and listen to that series online. It's there for you. What I felt like the Holy Spirit and what the Lord said to me this week is I just need to share some thoughts with you about Pentecost. Can I mess with you just a minute? Okay, we're going to stay rooted to Pentecost, and here's why. A couple statements, just, just a few. Number one, God can accomplish more than we can. That's why we're going to stay rooted to Pentecost. I've discovered that the Bible says it's not by power nor by might, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. And what I've discovered is that if as long as we stay rooted to the power of Pentecost and to the power of the Holy Spirit, we use the P for Pentecost because... It fits, you know. It's the preacher in me coming out. you got to do all P's. It wouldn't look, it'd look funny having an H right there for Holy Spirit. But we are rooted to the power of the Holy Spirit. Because I understand something. God can do more than I can. And we can come in here and put on a great show for you because we got great musicians and great singers and sometimes great speakers and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And we can wow you with all that. But what, I have, what I've come to understand is that wouldn't accomplish diddly squat for you. But when God steps in, in one moment, He can change your life through the power of the Holy Spirit. We are rooted to the power of the Holy Spirit. If you go back and you think about the day of Pentecost, that one outpouring changed the world and it continues to do so. Did you know that, that I recently heard that the fastest growing movement and powerful section of Christianity in the whole world, the one that's gaining traction rather than losing it, is Pentecostal? Those that believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because God can do more than we can. I know that's, that's bad news for some of you because you thought you could do it all by... Uh, it is by His Spirit. So we're rooted in Pentecost. The second thing that I want to say to you is we are going to remain uh, rooted in Pentecost because it is in the Word. Period. I'm not willing to give up any aspect of God's Word. And if God's Word says it's real and it's in there, then it's for me. And I don't even have to understand how it all works. But it's in there. And if Jesus thought his disciples needed the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I'm one of his disciples today, then I must probably, without a doubt, no doubt about it, need it too. It's in his word. I want everything that he has for me. I'm greedy like that. Right? I want all that he has for me. It's in the word. We don't get to, you know, we could take the Bible and rip the pages out we don't like. That's crazy. It's there. We're not getting rid of it. We can't get rid of it. It's there. It's for us. 
The third thing I want to say to you is this. If I have to wade through all the fake to get to the real, then so be it because the real is worth it. I thought about this scenario. Some guy walks into my house and lays out 500 what look like diamonds on my coffee table and says, there's 499 fake ones on the table, but if you'll work yourself through them and wade through them, it's going to take you probably some time, and you're going to have to expend some energy and find the ones that are real and find that one that is real. But in this, this pile of stuff, there is one genuine article, and it's worth a million dollars. And if you can find it, here's the kicker, you get to keep it. Oh, I don't know, man. That's all this fake stuff. I don't know if I can go through all that, man. I just, uh, uh, that's just too tough. Too, uh, no, you know what I do? Man, I'd be going through some fake diamonds. I'd be getting, I'd be up in my window scratching them, man, trying to cut the joker. I'd be on my plasma TV going, trying to, why? Because the one, the real one's worth it. And what I've discovered since I've been involved in Pentecost, which has been for a long time, is there's some weird, fake, crazy stuff out there. But the real is worth it. The real genuine article that is genuinely linked to the power of the Holy Spirit, not trying to make a name for myself, not putting my spiritual gift on show, not trying to get brownie points with the preacher, not trying to wow anybody. When it's real and when it's genuine, it is worth wading all through the junk to get to it. And so we're rooted to it. And all the fake stuff won't turn me off to the real stuff because it's valuable. The next thing I want to say to you is church and life with the Spirit is more fun than church and life without the Spirit. I'm going to be real deep here. Are you ready? If you don't believe that church is more fun with the Spirit than without, I give you permission not to come here next week. Go somewhere else. Go find a church that doesn't believe in the power of the Holy Spirit and see if it's fun. I've been there. I worked there. It's no fun. No fun. Who says church can't be fun? And I think that when we are rooted into the power of Pentecost and the power of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is creative, and I think God has a sense of humor, and I just think that when we can come and see lives being changed and people's lives being switched around and provisions being made and healings being accomplished, that's fun. And it's more fun in life with the Spirit than without too. You go ask the disciples, was it more fun before you met Jesus and got filled with the Holy Spirit or after? You couldn't heal anybody. You were on a boat fishing all night. That was your job. Now Jesus is coming to your heart. You've been baptized with the power of the Holy Spirit. And now you find yourself preaching to thousands, laying your hands on sick, dead folks coming to life, lame people walking. Isn't that more fun? Absolutely. It's more fun. The last thing I'd say to you is this. Pentecost is our only hope of freedom and our only hope for changing our community. And I can prove to you that out of Scripture just with two statements. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. It is as we stay rooted into the power of Pentecost, that is our only hope for providing freedom for people. As we come into contact with the power of the Holy Spirit in our services, that produces freedom in people's lives. And it's our only hope for producing change in our communities. For instance, I, I came across Acts chapter 2, verse 47. 
3,000 people have already been saved as Peter stood up and preached. But in verse 47, it kind of just as almost an afterthought. It says, and they remain, it doesn't say it just like this. This is Steve Ely's version. You can go read it for yourself. It says, they, stated rooted, they stay rooted in praise because it said they gathered together and continued to sing in spiritual songs and songs. And it, uh, they were rooted to praise. But then it says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So in other words, before Pentecost, no change. After Pentecost, dramatic change. Their community changed. In fact, the Bible says they turned their world upside down. And what I am saying to you is that the only way we will ever produce and bring impact and change into our community is not programming. Although it may come through programming, it will only be accomplished as the power of the Holy Spirit works through those systems and those channels and it will produce change in people's lives. We either want to be a church and a group of people who bring change and freedom to folks or we don't. And the truth is, is if we want to be that church, then we must stay rooted to the power of Pentecost. Now, the problem is, is that most of us fall into one of two groups. Most of us are either in group A or group B. Group A is this group. We grew up around Pentecost. We've known about Pentecost all of our lives and we've become so used to it and accustomed to it that now we ignore it or we marginalize it or sometimes even underestimate it. We've, we've seen it all, heard it all, done it all, and so now we are so uh, calloused to the moving of the Holy Spirit that in essence now what the power of the Holy Spirit is for is for goosebumps at church. And it is the grading scale by whether or not we had a good service or not. And that's the only thing it's for. Or we fall into group B. Now group B was not raised around Pentecost, so they haven't experienced it, and so they're scared of it. And they don't understand it, and they're skeptical because they know somebody in group A. <laughs> Just being real. They've seen you acting freaky and know you ain't winning nobody to the Lord. Did that just come out of my mouth? Did I say that out loud? Okay, I just want to make sure. Because if I hadn't, I was going to come back and say it again. They know somebody in group A and they think, well, they're no different than I am. And all they want this Holy Ghost thing for is so they can jump real high in service. And so it makes no difference. And so they are scared of it. They don't understand it. And they come to this conclusion, I don't need it. Group A or B? Now, let me help you if I can this morning. I grew up in group A. I've been around Pentecost all my life. In fact, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit when I was 12 years old. Changed my life. About a year or maybe a year and a half later, I, because of the power of the Holy Spirit that was operating in my life, this crusade came to my small town. Freddie Gage, I don't know if you've ever heard him, but he used to do these evangelistic, I think he still does, all over the, the, the country. He came to our small town and did a crusade. And I was so full of the power of the Holy Spirit that I went door to door as a 13-year-old asking people. I didn't even have the Roman road down. I just walk up and say, hey, do you need to know Jesus? Would you like to be saved? I led my first person on a, to the Lord on a cold call at 13 years old. But something happened. I've been in Pentecost a long time. And now I've seen it all, done it all, heard it all. And the Holy Ghost is more about how high we can jump. Come on, I'm just being honest. What I am saying to you is that those of us in group A have to come back to a realization that the power of Pentecost is about producing change. It is about producing impact on people. And so what I am calling to you for is this. If you're in group A, revisit why you're filled. 
Go back and discover why you have been empowered the way you've been empowered. Don't put your spiritual gifts on display in our services so that you feel like I, I got my brownie points this week. That's not what it's about. It's about drawing attention and glory and honor to Jesus and allowing him to use us to produce power. That's why there are tongues and interpretations and words of wisdom and knowledge and miracles and signs and wonders. Not so that we, everybody thinks we're so spiritual. It's so that when they see that happen, the Bible says that the gift of the Holy Spirit is a sign unto unbelievers that they suddenly realize, man, you just read my mail and you don't know me? What is going on? And they want what you have. Now, if you're in group B, I can't talk to you because I've never been there. I don't know what it's like not to know about Pentecost or to be scared of Pentecost because Pentecost is normal for me. But I know some folks that have been in group B and so this morning, Doug and Kelly Allen are coming to share their story. I want you to listen closely as they tell you how the Holy Spirit has impacted their life. Well, most definitely we were in Group B, and uh, we'll let Kelly start us off here. I'm starting off with Luke 11, verse 9, and this was key to us. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and he who knocks it will be open. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? If he asks for fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So three years after uh, seminary and 15 years after full-time ministry, Kelly and I found ourselves at our roots. Our first, our first ministry that we had was on an island in Florida. Bless our hearts, I can hear you saying that. We were suffering for Jesus on an island in Florida. But for five years, we really did. We didn't have the power of the Holy Spirit. And we found ourselves empty. We found ourselves dry. We found ourselves just going, surely there's something else. Surely there's more to this. You know, and we didn't have the power of God behind us. We just felt like uh, we needed more. And so on that island, we, we had met some friends that were also at First Church, Fernandina Beach, Florida, suffered with us, but they had moved on to another church and began a church in South Florida and had some new teaching that really they wanted to share with us. So they were there, and they said, guys, let me share something with you. So through one weekend, we spent about probably over 20 hours in deep Bible study, deep prayer, and they took us through the tabernacle pattern. And through that, we learned we wanted to be in the Holy of Holies. And so on that weekend, we went through a time of deliverance that wasn't freaky. We didn't spit green vomit, but it truly <laughs> closed every door, you know, that we had ever opened. We were still saved, but we wanted more. And so we went through this weekend with them, and we wanted everything the Holy Spirit had to give us. It was through that weekend that we were baptized in the Spirit. Um, and um, following that, what is it? Uh, following that, um, just incredible things started to happen. And we're always careful with the things that we share that happen to us because we don't want to glorify the experience. But 
it was real and it happened to us. And I used to think you people were crazy, you know. But when it happened to me, because I had, there was one one time I was in uh, St. Louis, and it was after we'd been through this, and it was just me and God. And every night, the group in my marketing class would go out to dinner, and I couldn't do that. I had to go back and be with God. And as I was reading stuff, and I was reading prophetic words, and I, you know, that was new to me. And I was like, God. I don't understand this. This is kind of weird, but I don't want to shun it. I want the truth. I don't want to have false teaching. I know there's that out there. I only want what's of you, and I'm going to beg of you. You've got to tell me. And I'm laying in my bed in my hotel room. It's about 2 in the morning, and I have my Bible, and I said, God, i got to know, is the word of prophecy, is it true for today? And my radio turns on all by itself, out of nowhere, And a voice comes out my radio, and she says, Hi, I'm prophetess. I don't know what her name was. I couldn't breathe. And she said, I am here to tell you the word of prophecy is true for today. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't. And then I thought, okay, the enemy's after me, and I'm going now, you know. So then I called my friend the next day, and I told her, and she said, Kelly, and she reminded me of that scripture, you know, if you ask God for the Holy Spirit, he's not going to give you a snake. He's going to give you what you asked for. You asked him, he told you. And there's been a hundred other things that would freak out my little people that where I used to go to church, you know, but it's real, and it's true, and it's exciting. We had Julie and Steve over one night, and we were just you know, and they were just kind of like, oh, wow, you know, because it was nothing to them, but we were just about to fall off our bar stools, so. For the record, we weren't in a bar anywhere, so anyway, <laughs> anyway, we did, uh, it was just interesting that uh, it also, the Bible also says that, you know, your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. Well, I didn't know what category I was in until I got a dream, <clears throat> and then I was an old man. Well, here's this, here's this guy that didn't grow up with all the other 499 diamonds on the table, you know, and so I, I was going, Lord, what do, you, what do you want me to do? Well, he gave me a dream, and I was in full-time ministry at our church, and once again, I was, I was there just doing what I knew to do, and God gave me a dream, and I'll give you the snapshot. The snapshot was I had a family member up front in the sanctuary that I was serving in, and that family member was trying to speak, and I kept on saying to them, I was sitting in the pew, and I kept on saying to them, take the tongue out of the tent and stick it to the window. Normal thing to dream, right? And it, as, it, as it went on, my pew rose up <laughs> in the sanctuary, and it turned around, and it, it faced backwards, and it was just, just high enough, and it started... It started to move towards the north wall of the sanctuary, and I had to say, folks, I don't know what's going on here, but you're going to have to move out of the way. It's going to hit you, okay? And it's going to go, it's going to go through this. It started working its way through the people, and it was, the rest of the row was my family. And it went and hit the wall, and it made a huge crack in the wall. And I went, <gasps> and I jumped off the pew, and I ran, and I grabbed a hymnal, and I don't know what I did. I stuck it in the, I wanted, I wanted to grab a hymnal and stick it in the crack so it wouldn't fall. That was the end of the dream. Well, I found out that there was no hymnal to put in the crack. Well, I thought, you know, this is too weird. I've got to write this thing down. So immediately I wrote it down. There's a lot more details to it, but the, the, the three points were those. And I got to uh, some friends that said, guys, I don't even know who to ask. You know, I don't, you know, I couldn't go to the ones that I was with, but I had to go to others and say, interpret this dream for me. And so the first thing with taking the tongue out of the tent was show your gifts Show, show what God has given you. Show, show it to everybody and stick it to the window. 
Take your tongue out of the tent and stick it to the window. Use your gifts, use your giftings, and, and show it to everyone. Uh, the second thing was that God is going to cause a movement in your church that's going to begin with your family. And when, you, when, you, when it moves, you're not going to be in control of it. The Holy Spirit's going to be in control of it, and it's going to cause a crack in the ministry, in the wall of that church. Doug, you're going you're gonna to try to go back to the old order, which is the hymnal, but the old order will not work for you. It'll have to be a new order. And so, boy, did that, it, it took place. After five years at this church, uh, I could tell that my giftings were a little bit different than theirs, okay? And I had to really move on. I really had to move on. And God said, you know what, I've got something else for you. You just need to go with me and, and, and let's continue to go on, okay? But we tell you this, um, not to glorify, again, the experiences that we've had. And there's several others. I can't even begin to count them. But there's several others. We don't glorify the experiences. We glorify the one who gave the experience. And so that's, that's where we are. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, do not be drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. And if you feel like you're dry this morning, if you feel like, you know, everything's working against you, maybe you need to have a new filling of the Spirit. Matter of fact, uh, we've been told that that filled in that scripture right there means it's a continual filling. It's something that is continual. You have to ask for it. Something that continually fills you. So you might find yourself today going, man, I, I can identify with those folks. I'm in group B. Well, I, I can only tell you, be filled with the Spirit. Ask for it. And he won't give you a stone. He won't give you a scorpion. He won't give you a snake. He'll give you what you ask for. Thank you, guys. They, they, yeah, give them a hand. That's mine, Sorry. yeah. <laughs> they were deep in group B, and God changed their lives. And what I want to say to you this morning is this. If you're in group B, dig. Go back to Scripture. Don't, don't even take our word for it. Go back to Acts and read through the book of Acts and see if there isn't a genuine diamond in there for you. Group A, shake off the apathy. Group B, there's more, and it's real. We are determined to stay rooted in prayer and stay rooted to the power of Pentecost because it's our hope for producing change. We're not going to be freaky, y'all. Come on now. Somebody amen me. Mike, amen me. Thank you. But we just need to redefine what freaky is. Because if we define freaky by our natural mind, it's all going to be freaky. But if we redefine freaky by is it in God's Word and is it backed up by Scripture and is it valid because of that, that's not freaky. That's real. And that's where we're going to stay if we're going to go where God wants us to go. I want you to stand with me this morning. I have two prayers this morning. One is this, if you haven't experienced Pentecost, that God will produce and cause to rise up within you a hunger for something more. And that if you've already gotten the power of the Holy Spirit operating in your life, that you'll begin to use it for what it was intended for once again. I really sense this morning that the Father wanted to do this. I want us to
go back a little bit into prayer. That's where we're going to stay this morning. Some of you have had a great week. Some of you have not. It's been a bad week for some of you. Some of you are facing trials and obstacles that you never planned for, and they've taken you by surprise, and they've hurt. And you find yourself in a broken place. Can I tell you where to turn this morning? To prayer. On the hard days. Because when we go to prayer, we go to Him. And I want to pray over you quickly, and then we've got just a few minutes. And I want us to pray for one another. The Bible says that we should do that. I can't pray for you, but I can pray for you. And when we do that, we touch God. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. I thank you that we can have roots and they can run deep and they can provide sustenance and life for us. And this morning, I pray first for those in group A that if they've encountered the power of the Holy Spirit and they've become accustomed to, to it and marginalized it and underestimated it and focused on the freaky stuff and have lost focus on what the power of Pentecost is really about, which is producing change and freedom in people. God, I pray this morning you would shake that off of us and we would once again begin to operate in our gifts and operate under the power of the Holy Spirit and change people's lives forever. That's my prayer. And Father, I also pray for those that have never experienced Pentecost and they may be scared of it and they may not understand it. They may not even be sure they need it. I pray this morning you would produce in them a deep, deep, deep hunger for knowledge and for understanding and that out of their spirit would rise up a cry to you, give me everything that I've been promised by you. Even if I don't understand it, and allow them to go on a journey to begin to search out through Scripture to see if the diamond is real. And when they discover that it is, I pray that in the name of Jesus, you would fill them with the power of your Holy Spirit. And it would change their lives radically. In Jesus' name. And Father, this morning where I end this is this. I pray for those that have had a hard day. Oh, it wasn't as hard as your day, but it's been a bad day. And we find ourselves discouraged and broken and not sure that we can win. God, this morning I pray that you would touch and heal and deliver and set free. And Father, for those of us that are getting ready to head into a season of temptation, we make a line in the sand this morning. We pray in advance of our temptation so that we will not fall. Give us strength. Will you do this with me? There are people standing around you right now. Some of them have had a terrible week. They're broken in their spirit. They don't know where to turn. Have you ever been to a place where you didn't even know how to pray? I've been there. I don't know. Man, I prayed all I know to pray. I don't know what else to pray. Some of the folks standing next to you are in that place right now. They need somebody to pray for them. And rather than bringing them all the way down front and all that kind of stuff so that you don't have to pray and you don't have to be involved and just watch me pray, would you join me this morning? Would you just reach out right now, allow the power of the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you? There's somebody standing next to you right now that needs somebody to lift them up in prayer. Come on, find your neighbor right now. Turn, be sensitive to the power of the Holy Spirit. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. 
To find more past resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion. 